Several years ago, because I probably couldn't do it now, but several years ago, I joined Colorado's 14ers club. And what that means, if you're unfamiliar, is that I climbed a a minimum of a 14,000-foot mountain. I chose Mount Humboldt as the mountain that I was going to climb in the Santa Cristo mountain range. A good friend and I drove as far as we could, parked our car at the base of the trailhead, and then we began our ascent up the top. The plan was that we were going to get to just below the tree line. The tree line is somewhere between ten and 11,000 feet. We were going to camp there, stay there for a few days because we figured we would need some rest after making that climb. And then we would just, on our own as a day trip, make our way to the top uh, to join the club. At the top, you sign your name and put it in this tube. And then they retrieve that information and they put it on their website side and you become a member of the 14ers club. We drove, got out of his Jeep, took those big packs and put them on our back and we began the ascent. And I tell you, it wasn't too far into the journey that I began to curse the day I had ever brought a fork and a spoon with me. I could only, I I could have used a spoon. I didn't need the fork, certainly didn't need a second can of fuel because I wasn't planning on eating that much because I couldn't even catch my breath. Uh, And I wasn't even to the top yet. It was a, it was a beating, uh, just a beating of climbing this thing. And I remember the pack on my back weighed somewhere between 45 and 50 pounds, and I wouldn't get even the distance of a football field. And I was looking for a big rock that I could lean on and take the pressure off of my back for a while, get up and start again. And it seemed that each one of those rests became quicker and quicker. The time that the distance that I could go became shorter and shorter. My legs were hurting. My back was killing me. My head was hurting from the altitude. I couldn't breathe. It was great. I loved every minute of it. We finally got to our campsite. We set up camp. We took a breather for the night. And the next day, I took one bottle of water and one package of uh, peanut butter crackers. And we began uh, our second journey to the top. That one was even more tiresome than the the first one. Even though I didn't have the pack on my back and the weight of that pack on my back, the air was thinner. We were above the tree line now. It was rocky, much more rock than any vegetation that couldn't grow up there. And it was just, it was painful. Friends that were with me turned and went down, gave up. I I just fixed my eyes on the top and then I would look down and then I would walk and walk and walk and look up and think I was going to be closer and seem like it was further and further away. So I began to look at people coming down the mountain and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, if that guy can do it, I can do this. Uh, Or if she could do it, I could do it. That, That lady's carrying a baby and she went all the way to the top. I can do this. I can do this. So I had uh, a renewed uh, vigor, and I, I started off again, and then I began to think to myself, no, this has got to be it. I, I'd ask people coming down, is this good enough? Can I just say this is, I've, I've been to the top. Oh, no, you've got to go to the top. You've got to go to the top. You're not far. It's just right, it's just right up there. Just go. Long story short, I, I finally did get to the very top. I made my last step right over to the, uh, a big, it's about as large as this room up on the very top. There were young people up there with six packs of Corona that they carried all the way up. I had one bottle of water and some crackers. I was exhausted physically, but I put my name on that sheet and I sat there 
And I ate a cracker, and I drank that water as I looked at the 360-degree view around me. Not one view like I'd seen before when I'd climbed the mountains. That, oh, look at that. You can see over to that other mountain range over there. This I could see 360 degrees all the way around. Breathtaking. It's, it's beyond words. The, the majesty and glory of God's good creation. I don't know about you, friends, but I tell you that illustration because this describes my life. My life from starting down at the very bottom at the pit and a journey all the way to the peak. And the journey all the way from the pit to the peak is exhausting, isn't it? My legs hurt. My back hurts. My soul hurts. My heart hurts. My heart is broken. I'm out of breath. I, like the psalmist, declare many times, How long, O Lord? How long are you going to let me endure this? How long are you going to turn your back and let me feel and experience this pain in my life? Or I say, why, O Lord, have you forsaken me? Why, if you say you loved me and that I am your child, why why can't you just do something like that and snap me out of this and, and get me out of this pit and bring me to the peak? And here's what I have found over a life of 60 years of living, and that is this that it is in times of darkness that God is actually still working in our life, even when we think he isn't, to better prepare us for that peak. Fit us for heaven to live with thee there, just like the Christmas hymn, Away in the Manger says, that this journey of life is real, it's painful, it hurts. Our bodies hurt, our souls hurt, our hearts are broken. But in such times, God can be trusted God can be trusted because he has told us that he is preparing us through such times to enjoy the beauty of the peak where we are better now suited to serve in his kingdom. And that also describes not only my life, perhaps your life as well, but it describes the life of Joseph too, doesn't it? We find that in this summer series that we've been doing from chapter 37, skipping 38 because there's a break with the story of Tamar there, but 39, 40, and 41. This is the longest chapter now in the history that has been penned for us by Moses in the life of Joseph. Chapter 41 is the longest time. But I want you to think about what we've learned so far, and that is this, that back in chapter 37, chapter 2, or verse 2 of 37, Joseph is told to to us to be 17 years old. In our chapter today, in chapter 41, verse 46, we are now told that Joseph is 30 years old. My point is this, 14 years have transpired since we were introduced to Joseph, 14 years, and it's anything but a peak, isn't it? He's been in the pit now for 14 years. 14 years we have had Moses pin for us things, details about his life, intricate details about his life, how he has responded to things, um, his attitude, his mood, uh, the position where he is, the place where he is. He's not in the promised land anymore. He's He's at the pit. He's in prison now. All of these things have been pinned for this purpose, friends, and that is to give us a summary of everything that we've studied so far in verse 32. Look at verse 32. For there we see this, and the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God, and God will shortly bring it about. 
So all of this stuff that, that he has been going through, that Joseph has been going through, all of these things in this journey, this pit, this darkness, this agony, we now find out, we now read, as we already knew, that God is present. You see, God can still be trusted, friends. That's my life. I don't know about yours, but in times of agony and pain, when I'm asking why, how long, why have you forsaken me, I want God just to take it away. I want him to to wipe it completely away. But now what I understand, now what I can cling to is God can be trusted even when he is moving slowly in our dark times. But God can be trusted even when he moves suddenly in that summary, bringing it to full understanding to the promise that we can cling to that his plan or what we call sometimes his providence, his overseeing all that he has done and created, his plan is fixed and he will do it. Boy, if that doesn't get your heart ticking, perhaps you don't have a pulse. Maybe you need to go like this and feel if you do. We read scripture sometimes, friends, and I think what we do oftentimes is we, 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 we fall in the bar ditch on either side. We fall in the, the ditch on either side by doing one of two things. The first thing is that we say, this passage is for me, and I've got to find that nugget. There is somewhere in this passage a golden nugget that nobody else has found that I'm going to found, find that says this is what you need to do. If you do this, then your life will be completely different. Or we fall on the other side and we say, ah, it's not about me. This, this text is clearly about Joseph, isn't it? I mean, the whole thing, the longest chapter in the history of his life we have here with 50-some-odd verses. It's all about Joseph. So let's follow Joseph. Joseph once was a bad guy. Now he's experienced good things. Oh, and then he fell off on the bad thing, and then he's experienced it. And we go back and forth. Oh, I wonder what he did. What is he going to do now? What are we going to read now? How is it going to get worse for him now? Those two positions of our reading scripture fail us miserably. Here's what we need to know. That this passage, chapter 41, is not about you, and it's not about Joseph. It's about Yahweh. It's about our covenant-making and our covenant-keeping God, who before the foundation of the world said, my plan is fixed. Before we were created... He knit us, or he chose us to be his for the praise of his glorious grace. And so this passage is the good news of the gospel that says it's not about you, it's not about Joseph, even though you and Joseph are benefiting from this chapter, it's all about what Yahweh promises. He is trustworthy, friends. That's what you need to walk away here with. He can be trusted in times when he's acting very slowly and we are experiencing pain and agony and struggle and heartbreak, when people fail us, when relationships end, when children go awry, whatever it may be that you're experiencing, he can be trusted even though he seems to be moving slowly because we're getting to the peak. He is preparing us for the peak and at that peak we are sealed with this certain understanding and that is the thing is fixed by God and he will accomplish it. He who began a good work in you will see it to the day of completion.
So think with me about Joseph then in these two areas that God can be trusted when he is moving slowly and God can be trusted when he is moving suddenly. Joseph is the the son of a man and his favorite, right? All these other brothers, but we read in scripture, you've been studying that Joseph is the favorite son. He's destined for wealth. He's going to inherit a bunch of stuff from his dad, but that's not what we read about Joseph, is it? Nope, that's not what we read at all. Instead, what we read is that his brothers throw him into a pit and then they retrieve him out of the pit and he is sold into slavery. Joseph acquires great authority in Potiphar's house. He's in a position of authority in Potiphar's house. And so we would read in his life that things are going great. But no, he's not, is he? Because of Potiphar's wife, he's now in chains down in the pit, in in the dungeon, in the prison. So we also would read things about uh, the last chapter that we looked at, maybe even last week. And that is that Joseph interprets the cupbearer's dream while he's in prison with the baker. And the cupbearer says, I I got it now, I understand, and I'm not going to forget you. I'm going to go back to Pharaoh, and I'm going to tell Pharaoh, you are the man, you're the ha-anthropos. That just means the man. You're, You're the guy who can do all of these things. And then we get to verse 1 of chapter 41, our text. Look at it, what does it say? After two whole years. Can you imagine how the wind would have been sucked right out of his sails? For 12 years, he's been enduring this, and now the cupbearer says, you're the man. I'm going to go tell Pharaoh that you're the man. I'm going to be sure not to forget you. And two years pass. He still continues, how long, O Lord, why have you forsaken me? Wouldn't that be his cry? Wouldn't you think that would be his cry? Sinclair Ferguson, one of my favorite authors and preachers, actually, I love that Scottish brogue, for the glory of God. It's just wonderful. Anyway, he, he goes on and on about the twos that we find in Joseph's life that's repeated over and over and over again. He had two dreams. Now he interprets two dreams, and he interprets two dreams within two dreams, he also has, uh, the, the brothers have uh, two plans to throw him into the pit and then to sell him into slavery. He's tempted twice. He's humiliated twice. He's exalted twice. And so it's no stranger to us then that our, our core verse, our summary verse in verse 13 begins, and the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that that thing is fixed. Here's another two, the doubling with Pharaoh's dream as well. This pattern of two and two and two and two and two to show us the life of Jacob or Joseph before and after and that the promises of God are secure. They are set. They are fixed as we read in this passage right here, chapter 41. But Joseph is a different dude in this chapter than he is in 37, isn't he? I mean, think back from all of your guest pastors that have been coming uh, and preaching. Think back. And let's look just at a couple of verses here in in, uh, chapter 41 to show how even in this dark time, this time of agony, God is moving, moving slowly, but he is moving because Jacob or Joseph is finally getting it. Things are finally being applied to his heart and his life. The first thing is, Look how, how Joseph is different in his humility. Verse 16, Pharaoh says, hey, 
I hear you can interpret dreams. I've had a dream. Nobody else can. None of these magicians, none of these wise guys, nobody can interpret it. But I hear that you can. And look how Joseph responds. It's not me. It's not me. But God. God will give favorable, uh, Pharaoh a favorable answer. Chapter 37. He was not that humble, was he? I got a coat, you don't. You remember that? The coat of many colors? Oh, you're all going to bow down to me because I am greater than you. He's not a humble guy. But now in chapter 41, we find his, his focus is it's not me. It's all about him. He'll do the work. I can't do the work. So we see a new humility. We see a new discernment, don't we? Back in chapter 37, he wasn't discerning in the way he dealt with his brothers, what he would say to them. He wasn't discerning and calling to his father and including his father and what he had told his brothers. Yeah, you're going to bow down to me too. That's not very discerning, is it? But a passage that we didn't read, uh, that we skipped because of the length in chapter chapter 41, verse 39 then Pharaoh said to Joseph, now Joseph has, has defined his, his dream, and he said, here's what it means. The doubling of it means this very thing, this eating up of the cows and the grain and so forth. And then he, said, then he lays out, Joseph lays out and says, here's what you need to do to answer this problem. There's going to be seven years of, of um, plenty, and there's going to be seven years uh, of famine, and so you're going to need to prepare during the times of plenty for the famine so that there will be bread for the world and so forth. He lays all this out, but he never says, and you know what? Hey, I'm your guy. I'll take care of it for you. If you'll just, if you'll just get me out of the pit, I'll take care of it for you. Now, look what he says. It's Pharaoh who says, verse 39, then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all this, There is no one so discerning and wise as you. Different from the the Joseph that we read in chapter 37, isn't it? Now he's displaying discernment, not only humility, but times of discernment. These 14 years of darkness, God has been moving. God has been sealing things to his heart and to his life. Contentment. Look at verse 51. And 52, the names of his two sons. He wasn't content back in 37. He wanted all of that stuff now. He wanted everybody bowing down to him now, didn't he? But now look at verse 51. He named his firstborn Manasseh. For he said, God has made me forget all my hardship in my father's house. And the second son he named Ephraim. For God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. God has brought about this change. Not Jacob, but God has made me see that I'm content. Even in times of struggle and agony and affliction and darkness and times in the pit, God has made this happen for a good cause, for my good cause, because it's fixed. He's still moving, and so I can be content in that. Perseverance. He wanted everything in verse 37 so that he could enjoy it all. He comes up with a plan in chapter 41, and now he's brought from the pit to the peak, and he begins to implement and oversee that plan. And how long is it going to take? 14 more years. Seven years of good, seven years of bad. Why? For the very last verse, that bread could come. To the entire world, he sets a plan in motion that will take him 
14 more years to persevere to see God's plan is fixed and it is coming about for the praise of his glorious grace. Friends, do you see that in your life? Do you see that even in times of struggle and darkness and heartbreak and mourning and affliction, all of those things that we experience that are real, Don't waste one moment of God's good providence because God has planned all of these things for the praise of his glorious grace and he's moving, he's acting. Even even when it's so slow, so painfully slow, so miserably painfully slow, God has promised that he is acting and moving. And we... We could take this into consideration in such times that he is preparing me. This greatest darkness is preparing me for his greatest use when he suddenly brings me to the peak. And that's what he finally does, doesn't he? Verse 32, our central verse again. The doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed and God will shortly bring it about. God will suddenly make it happen. So God moves slowly, painfully for years, and then suddenly God brings about that thing that he has fixed from the foundation of the world. Think about the events here. Now, Pharaoh, verse 14, sent and calls for Joseph, and look at the word, and they quickly brought him out of the pit, all right? They quickly bring him out of the pit, tell him to shave his face, sponge off, do a little bird bath, put on some new clothes. He stands before Pharaoh. He says, here's what your two dreams mean, and here's how you need to respond to that. How long do you think that would take? 30 minutes? 45 minutes? Let's say he was a slow shaver. His beard was longer. It took him an hour. But do you see the difference? It's not 14 years now, but suddenly, in a small moment of time, now God is moving yet again, and Joseph has come from the pit all the way to the peak because Pharaoh has determined, because God has decreed, that for such a time as this, this is fixed and you are the man. You are the man to do what I have ordained and created you to do. In one call, his agony, his suffering, his anguish was over. Can you say that about your life? Can you look back on things that have happened when you thought to yourself, Lord, why have you abandoned me? Why why not just do this and not that? Stop that and start that. When When you find yourself in such times, can you now look back hindsight 2020, as they say, can you look back and say, I see it. I see that what he was doing was moving me from this position to this position ever so slowly, but for the praise of his glorious grace. My mother-in-law died last year, not of COVID, but she died and we couldn't do a memorial service because of COVID. We had planned two services and we had to cancel both of them. So we did an actual uh, memorial on her, the anniversary of her death, which was last week. My wife is an only child, and she really grew up with her grandmother. Her mother was in and out a lot. Her mother, her grandmother, a godly woman, she just, she just was a saint. 
um, and she taught her daughters the, the things of, of, of God and of Christ, and my mother-in-law grew up with that, but when it came time to be an adult and she left home, she didn't abandon the faith as if she walked away from it, but it certainly was not key in her life. Jennifer, my, my wife, grew up with her grandmother. Her mother was gone a lot. And so uh, my, her grandmother instilled these truths into her mind as well. And when we married, uh, Jennifer began to say, you know, I don't, I, don't have, I don't have the certainty, I don't have the assurance of knowing that if my mother were to die, that she would be in heaven. What, 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 do I need to, what can we do about that? We, began, we talked about that, prayed about that for years and years and years. Four months before her death, my mother-in-law called my wife, and on a phone conversation, she pled for forgiveness, repented of her sin, spoke of how wrong she had lived an entire life, and how she'd been reading her Bible, she'd been having devotions with her sister, they'd been listening to preachers on the radio and on the TV, and she had she'd been born again, she was converted. She, she remembered the things that had been taught to her as a child, and they became a certainty for her. And Jennifer stood at the memorial service and said, any time, some time ago, I could not have told you with any certainty that I would see my mother again in heaven. But because of a phone call, I can now stand before you and say, I am absolutely certain absolutely certain because of the finished work of grace by a loving Savior. He sealed to her the gift of life eternal, abundant, and free. She communicated that to me, and I know when I die, I will spend eternity with her singing her praises. Four months before, my mother-in-law spilt some coffee on her kitchen floor. She had a paper towel in her hand. She dropped that paper towel. She took her foot and she wiped it and she slipped and she fell back and hit the back of her head. She developed two hemorrhages on each side of her brain. 30 days later, she was gone. For such a time as this, God acted suddenly. 65, 70 years of abandoning a Savior who had elected her from the foundation of the world to prepare her for that moment through the preaching of the word by that pastor, whoever he was, to bring her from the pit to the peak forever and ever. Friends, that's the gospel. And that's what we find in this passage. Even though, I'll, let me just close with this, even though Jacob's life, gosh, I keep saying that, Joseph's life is so much like Jesus's life, right? There are so many similarities. We refer to Joseph as a type of Christ, uh, we look to his life and we say he's, he's pointing to another one who is to come. And they, ex- they experienced the similar, similar things. They were both betrayed, both humiliated, both falsely accused, both imprisoned, both discarded, both raised, both exalted. Both of them took a bride and both of them gave bread to the world. I am the bread of life. But here's the difference. Joseph, that thing that was fixed was for those 14 years to do what our very last verse says, and that is, moreover, all the earth came so that Joseph could be the one who would give grain in times of famine. He did not do anything for eternity, but the one he is a type of, the one he points to, did, didn't he? 
who bore our sins in his body on the cross on the tree, and he said, Tetelestai, it is what? It is finished. That work that God has ordained from the foundation of the world is the work now that is the 360-degree view of the top of the mountain, the glorious gospel of grace, and even in times when he's moving slowly, we already have an eye at the mountain. I've been to the mountaintop, as we have heard before, and it is there that I know that it's fixed for all eternity. I am his. He is mine. In the hand of Christ, in the hand of God, doubly joined forever and forever. Thanks be to God. Amen. Father in heaven, what a joy it is to find the gospel so clear every time we open your word that you seal these promises to us and we cling to these promises today for any here experiencing the slow work of a loving Savior, seal to their minds and hearts today, Father, that he who began a good work will see it to completion. Do that, please, we pray, for the praise of your glorious grace, in Jesus' name, amen.